All right, our topic of discussion this morning is the role of the local church in cross-cultural medical missions. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking of the local church here in America, here in the United States, uh, being a local church. And how does it relate to this topic that we are discussing now? Um, Cross-cultural medical missions would be applied to a people going to a foreign culture and then coming to work in that context. It could be from America, it could be from other developing countries, or it could be from the developed world coming into the American culture and working with the local church here. And I'm sure you know this is happening. Like we know of a couple that's from Kenya and they are involved in a work with an, an, a work with an urban poor area in, in the East Coast. We also know of a Filipino couple that's involved in a similar ministry and both those ministries target medical missions. But that's not my focus of discussion this morning. I'm sort of looking at people coming from here and going to the developed countries and working with churches in those contexts. So the role of the local church in cross-cultural medical missions. Um, so my focus is what role can the local church play? And what is the advantage of the local church that we should even seek her out? And if we were even convinced it's a good thing, how do we involve the local church in what we want to do as medical missionaries? Chances are a typical cross-cultural missionary, especially medical missionary coming from developed countries, going to a developing world, would be going as a strong leader uh, would come with a dynamic and, and active kind of attitude, wanting to get done quickly and wanting to be involved in activities, and would be strongly motivated to see things implemented. Uh, in most cases, they tend to be strong-willed and quick in making decisions. They are not easily discouraged. And when they face failure, they even seem to work harder. Um, they tend to be independent and self-sufficient uh, and are confident in what they have learned and are eager to apply what they've learned onto the ground to make a difference. That is an example of a kind of a typical um, medical missionary going into a setting and wanting to make a change. And these people commonly establish goals and motivate people around those goals. So within a short time, they'll have a good following of people who want to work with them to accomplish. And they seem to know, to know answers, you know, especially to those people they're working with. So in a short time, uh, the locals begin to look up uh, to the medical missionary who has come into their culture, especially because they tend to be desperate 
and are sort of waiting for somebody to come with a solution in their situation. Um, in answer to that, they come with a vision. They come, you know, knowing where they want to go or seemingly knowing where they want to go, and they're seeking practical solutions to that. And being a medical person, you know, having been equipped with the medical knowledge, they sort of can find solutions and are eager to try out those solutions. They want to move quickly into action and actually get impatient when there is no activity. I'm almost talking about myself because that's, that's the way I would behave in, in such a setting. And they delegate, they delegate work quickly. They get people to take up uh, some tasks of what they are doing. And within a short time, they begin to employ many hands into the tasks that they are involved in. Um, it's almost natural that they will, they will begin to do something within a few months of their arrival in the mission field. Um, there are exceptions, of course. This is not, it doesn't fit everybody who is going to cross-cultural missions. There are others who would not fit in that category. But that would be an example of somebody finding themselves involved in cross-cultural missions. When we look at the church that these people find now in the field, they are completely the opposite of that. Uh, the local church that would be needing a medical missionary to be coming means it's a small church, probably small in structure and also small in size, um, small in knowledge, hardly taking any initiative because in the first place they are overwhelmed with the needs around them. Then there is lack of vision in that church, either because the leadership just hasn't been developed or they've tried things and they've failed, and that has sort of killed uh, the vision that they would have to change their community. Motivation in these churches is usually low, and on a normal Sunday, the service would be pretty disorganized. You know, nothing attractive for somebody to want to partner with that church. And the status quo seems to be, to be going on, you know, month after month, year after year. They tend to have no plans and usually would work from one crisis or one problem, it's solved, and then, you know, they are caught again by the next problem. And that's typical of churches among the poor. That's typical of churches where medical missionaries would be um, employed in. Now, coming to such scenarios, one gets uh, the feeling that they want to move quickly because the need is overwhelming. The poor are there. The diseases are prevalent. And looking at the church, you sort of feel like we'll never get anywhere with this church. You know, we, we just need to, to do something quickly and do something different and bring a solution that's not existing in this place. So a medical missionary inclination would be, I'm just going to stage a show, I'm going to open a clinic, or I'm going to start something different other than what is existing. So what role can a local church like that play for a medical missionary who is arriving in that scenario? And 
you know, what advantages really can such a church have to the medical missionary? And how can that church be involved in the objective of the medical missionary? When Festus and I left Kenya to go to Ethiopia, we were sort of coming from what was familiar to us, um, where systems we had been involved in, like the medical systems in the private hospitals and in the government hospitals, were familiar to us. And we were used to working with teams and used to, you know, things that work um, as far as the settings we were involved in were concerned. So when we got to Ethiopia, we were faced with a very needy community. And we were asking ourselves, what, it, what can be the role of the church in this place? Our attitude was, Lord, we want you to bring yourself glory. And we knew nothing, because what was familiar was lost to us. And we were there indeed to just serve God and serve his interests, not the interests of an organization or not an interest that we would have because we didn't have any other interest anyway. And our prayer was, Lord, please don't let us fail. You know, whatever we do, we don't want to have left for nothing. We want to succeed in this field. So do not allow us to fail. Do not allow us to lean on our own understanding. And it began to become clear to us what could be the role of a local church that is so lookingly, I mean, look, seemingly not useful. What can be the role of that church in what we were doing there? It didn't take us long to know what God's desire for us was. And although I was eager to get started, uh, for me, what kept me from getting started was language school. I still remember trying to maneuver my way through language school, and I would bring it up often with the, with the team that is it okay that I just keep language school and you know, get, get going with a medical need? And God has a sense of humor because the person who got to be excused from studying language was Festus and not me. And I was sort of told you have to do language for the nine months before you begin to do anything. And I sort of, even with that, began to work out a way of beginning to do something even before I finished language school. Now, I clearly remember the first time that we got introduced to the local church. Um, it, was, it was a day we were coming from language school, and we were driving through the community. It was, it was raining. It was a muddy uh, season in, in that area. And when it gets muddy in that community, it really gets muddy. <laughs> Some of you have been there. Um, slippery, if you step into the mud, the, it just cakes around your shoes and you know, it's difficult to walk. And we were driving through the community uh, and headed home and we met a young man who had kept on insisting, can you come and see our church? His name was Tadese. So on this particular day, he waves us to a stop and says, just, just come now. Is it possible that you come now, now that you are this close? So we looked at each other and said, okay, why not? So he got into the car, and we began to make our way uh, 
through the slum area. And it was full of potholes. Um, looking from side to side, there were plastic houses, uh, really small because it was through the displaced community that was existing there. And as we got further deeper into the slum, we began to see children uh, playing with the, the water on, on the ground um, in this crowded community, and you sort of begin to imagine what they are playing with. And um, running from place to, uh, from place, to place uh, barefooted in the mud, and again, you begin to imagine what, what worms could be developing. And we got it to the church, and it was, it was a small rented building. And we parked the car a, bit, a little distance away from the church, and we had to sort of plow our way through the mud to get to the entrance. And I sort of felt, oh, we made a mistake to come today. Because, you know, we were, we were dressed for language school. We had not prepared ourselves to be involved in the community. But it was too late to turn back because, you know, we were there. So we made our, our way out of the car, got into the church, found a small group of people there, and they came around us, two to three people. And they began to explain how this little church in this community had started. Um, there had been a Baptist missionary uh, compound in that area. These were people who were working with the Baptist missionary compound, and they had started a Bible study in, in the missions um, location. And when the missionaries left, they decided, why don't we rent a small building in the community and plant a church? So that's how they had come into place. It was two years and they had been struggling, you know, struggling to pay rent, struggling to maintain a vision, really trying to remain a church in this community. And, you know, we finished hearing the story, the history, and we were ready to leave. Um, and then I heard a voice behind me, and it clearly said, I want you to come back to this church and preach from this pulpit. It was a little wooden pulpit. And I thought it was my friend Tadesse sort of making fun of, you know, the whole situation. So I turned around and to my surprise, almost a panic, was there was no one there. And then a realization that God is actually asking me to, to partner with this church. And that was a discouragement to me because I did not want to. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to stage a quick show without needing to consult people and without needing to, to you know, drag them with me um, so that God would be asking me to partner with them. And then I thought, well, I'm still in language school. It's going to be uh, quite a while before I'm even ready to start. So in my mind, I was already strategizing a way of you know, getting around that. Um, in the meantime, every time we would drive through that community and then I see those children and then think of just behind the road there is that little church, I, I wouldn't have rest. I would still think of what can we do? We've got to do something. You know, language school is not over, but we've got to do something. So I decided we can, we can do something I can, I can handle, you know, on the side. And I thought what I'll do is I will begin... Um, doing vacation Bible school with these children, I'll invite them to a safe place, the 
first compound of the, the, you know, the mission agents we were working with. And I thought that's safe, that's secure, we can con contain the environment there, we will tell them what to do, and uh, you know, we'll be in charge. So we put up a notice, it was just before Easter, we put up a notice that um, the next day being Easter, we would be hosting um, a fun day for the children, we'll be teaching the Bible, and we asked them to register the next morning to a vacation Bible school. Now, we shouldn't have said the next morning because we woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning and there was like a deafening noise outside. A whole group of children, like the whole children from the slum, had come to register. And they were waiting there. We began to register from about 6.15 and by 7, 7.30, we had registered 400 children. And there was about an equal number of children waiting to be registered, but we just couldn't handle beyond that. So we cut it off at that and you know, told them that's the maximum we can contain. They didn't give up. They stayed there the whole day hoping we would change our mind and take them in. And by evening, they sort of began to be violent, throwing stones. So we realized we cannot actually handle this 400 children who are coming the next day. So. That took me in a hurry back to the local church to tell them we have 400 children registered, they're going to be with us the whole day, we need teachers, we need help. So they quickly called people and we got a group of about, would have been about 12 teachers who would be willing to come and help us um, do the vacation Bible school. And we survived that. At the end of the vacation Bible school, we, we had a time of uh, Bible study. It was actually a time of uh, praying and just closing with the teachers. And before we send them home, they said, why don't we begin a Bible study that we can be coming here once a week and just you continue to teach us how we can minister to these children. And I was in agreement with that. So they began to come. It would be every Friday we would meet with them, with these teachers, and continually teach them. And they actually became like our helpers every time we would have a VBS on the compound. Now, the next thing that happened was the pastor of this church suddenly comes to me, you know, no, no pre-plan, just comes to me and tells me, tomorrow we are having a screening and we need to screen all the children that come through our church that are supported by the Compassion International Ministry. It's a requirement, we need to do it tomorrow and we have a deadline and we want you to do it. It, it wasn't a request, it was, you are a medical doctor, you've got to do it for us. And I couldn't say no because I had gone to them without a plan also to request them to give me teachers to do a vacation Bible school. So I said, yes, why not? Um, it ended up being about 320 children that we needed to screen in one day. Uh, so I, I brought a colleague and we worked from morning uh, to evening looking at children, we were not giving them treatment as such, but looking at children and identifying what health problems they have, uh, filling in the screening cards, and you know, that becoming a report that they can take back to the, the Compassion International. By the time we had done the first two hours, we knew we cannot continue this child screening. We need to just stop, go to the pharmacy, and get ourselves medicine because we were seeing children with issues that you cannot just 
fill on a paper and allow them to go home. Um, and and that, was, that was ugly to us because it began to open my eyes that this is a big problem. Out of the 85, out of the children we saw, 85% of the children had active disease processes going on. And these were ranging from worm infestation, and not just mildly infested with worms, but sort of palpating, and it's, it's ascaries. It's, it's a serious condition. You know, anything can happen. They could get obstructed any time. We came across skin diseases. We came across scabies, uh, boils that were needing to be evacuated. We came across eye infections, respiratory infections, and lots of AIDS-related problems. And to our surprise, because we were analyzing that data, 60% of the children who had problems had more than one condition with them. Like they would have ascaries, they would have a skin disease, and they would also have eye infection. And we realized we could not walk away from that. And we began to ask ourselves, what can really be done? Is it even curative medicine? Is it a, a solution to this? If we were to open a clinic there, can it even solve this problem? And that's how the cross-cultural medical ministry began for us. Uh, realizing that there needs to be a change beyond just issuing out prescriptions. There needs to be a change in behavior. There needs to be injecting some knowledge as to how diseases are caused. Uh, there needs to be a change on what they eat and, you know, the home level, the hygiene things. It's bigger than just what we had learned. So I went back to the church with the results of what we had seen and told them, we've got to do something, and this church has to be involved. You've got to be a help in making a difference in this community. So they went ahead and agreed. Um, I just like the way God was quickly developing that. They agreed and they said, yes, we want to make a difference. I told them, this is going to be big. We are taking a risk. One of the questions they asked me was, have you done this somewhere else? And, you know, I hadn't. So when I told them I haven't, but one thing I know is, let's try it. If it fails, then we will know that we've tried it and it's failed. So we'll look to God to give us another solution. And they were okay with that. You know, let's try it together. So they chose a group of eight people. I was supposed to train them on basic ways of health education, uh, preventive medicine, how to do home visits. Uh, first aid, what education they can give from the pulpit, just the basics. And then they committed themselves to be the team in charge of a medical ministry arising from this church. So we began training and these people actually became our first ever trained team to bring about a change in a community. And their first activity after the training was go back to the church Call all the parents of those children that we saw, give them these results of what was wrong with the children, and explain to them how they get worms, how they get skin disease, and what can be done to prevent uh, these conditions. Explain to them that it's not about medicine, the prescription being given. They have a role to play to own their health, 
and they can play it with their children and it can happen at the home level. Um, they went back and it, w it was a big day for them because one, they were afraid. It's something we haven't done before. Will it be rejected by the community? Um, they were fearful. They had not been trained as medical personnel. Is it something they can handle? So we took some time to pray and fast the, the week leading to the, to the big meeting. And they began to send out invitations. And amazingly, they came in hundreds to the little church. So they, they sat outside and the team began to share about what had been found by the doctors and began to tell them what is the responsibility that they need to take to make a difference in that community. They came alongside it, they were motivated, they wanted to make a difference, and they said, train us, and we will do it. So we chose a committee from that team that came and began to train this committee on how to mobilize the community, how to set up structures that people can contribute to the development in their area, and how they can actually be a part of a transformation process for their community. Now we are talking about a community that was really at the end of the road uh, because it was a place with a, that was very close to the dumpster for the city. So many people would come to live in that area to be going through the garbage to take whatever is there. Then we also had a displaced people community that was living there. We had a leper community. So it was really a despised community as far as you know, the city was concerned. And these are people we are challenging to take a hold of their, their health. These are people we are telling can be healthy without being treated. And this is a small church that's struggling to stay alive. And we are sort of asking them, take the responsibility of this 20,000 plus people and let's make a difference. It was, it was a huge challenge and we needed to depend on prayer and we began to commit a day in a week as a day of just fasting and praying and waiting on God to hear what do you want us to do and how do we do it? So we began to, to just start by community organizing and it was dividing the community into clusters, getting some of the people who were trained to tell them you are in charge of this community, began to mobilize people to, to dig drainages begin to mobilize people to clean the, the, the waste, the littered waste, and let's put them into heaps and let's burn it. Uh, begin to talk to the children. Just beginning anywhere, mobilizing without any resources. And then we put up a structure that would be like a management structure where you can have the committee involved, meeting on a weekly basis, calling all the people that are involved at the cluster level, uh, mobilizing people who can do house-to-house -house visits, especially to see the sick, and then identifying those people who are bedridden or who've got AIDS, and organizing weekly medical camps in the church, and asking uh, me and my colleague to come over and do a medical camp at the church. This continued for a little while, it began to have some impact, it began to have some changes, people were encouraged, they began to come together as support groups, constructing homes and renovating kitchens for the lepers, um, helping the children who were homeless to be involved in foster homes, and the change was almost infectious. 
like one household is changing, the other household would be changing. When we did the household survey, we were amazed to find a big majority of that community was fully dependent on begging as their only source of income and how unstable that was and what that led in terms of malnutrition and the impact that would come with that. It was not, um, it was not easy. Some people began to fall away, uh, especially the men. Uh, by the end of the first year, we realized most of the men we had started with had you know, just stopped being active, stopped being mobilizers and motivators, stopped their home visits. So we felt there needs to be something that we can do. So we invited a speaker who, is, who was very well known in the city um, to the little church, and we knew the men knowing this famous speaker is coming to the church, the men would come. So we sent invitations that he is coming to speak in the church. We talked to him, and his main uh, topic was to boost their ego, to tell them that unless they take responsibility, the women are taking it, um, to highlight their role in making a change in their community. And he sort of knew how to put it because the men woke up and realized, no, we have to take our position. We cannot allow the women to overtake us in this. Um, I want to move quickly and say by the three-year mark, when we came to the end of the third year, there had been already a vocational training school uh, in the community, which was training men for carpentry and tailoring for women. And the clusters were being given opportunities to choose people among them to go to this school. So once they graduate, the clusters would be waiting to send their next candidate. And they began to sort of get excited about that. The little church started a kindergarten and it was teaching the children. It was almost like a, a daycare center. The children would be brought there, they would stay the whole day and they would have a mid-morning snack and go home in the afternoon playing in a safe environment and in a place where they can be supervised. We began a micro-enterprise program. A church came alongside us and gave us a small loan that can be placed in the church and people, especially those dependent on begging, would be able to borrow that and utilize that. Then we had a sports ministry, especially targeting uh, the youth. And they would come and be involved in playing there. They would um, mobilize other groups. And at the end of that, they would have the word was preached all the time there was an activity. Then we had a, a women's ministry meeting once a week. They would come with, especially clothes, they would come with clothes that they are not using, they would put them together, and they would make home visits to, especially the beggars, targeting the people who have nothing, to take them the clothes and actually invite them to come to church. The, the AIDS ministry also began to grow because it was a felt need. We continued to teach people visiting at the home level to take uh, care at the, at the church level, from the church level to the home level and make an impact there. One of the things we dealt with was the issue of gangs and you know, the violence in there. And somehow God gave us a way of helping them to be mobilized to something different other than committing crime. And that's, that's a whole story on its, on its own. And then we began to have short-term teams uh, coming and doing medical work in this, in this church. Um, like a whole week, we would stage a medical camp there. 
They would be involved in the sports ministry, in the women ministry, the house-to-house visits. And the community just began to open up, began to see the light of the church penetrating this dark area. The, the church became vibrant. There began to be worship. There began to be intercessory prayer going on. Even during the service, there would be intercessory prayer. And the medical camps began to, to grow more and more. And as we continued to do, to do examinations, we began to keep the data to ask ourselves, are we making an impact through the health education, through the economic impact? Are we making an impact with the, the home visits that are happening, the cleaning in, in, the, in the community? Is it having an impact on the disease rate that's in this place? Um, it began to decline. It came from 85% of sick children to go to 74% at the next medical camp, and then down to 59 and down to 53. It was when it came to 53% that we actually handed over that whole responsibility to the church. Because our aim was if we can stay with this community for three years, we should be able to teach them and pass on these skills to them so that they can take charge and we can take a back row. And, and they did. So we began our phase out and by the fourth year, our direct activities with the church had ceased. And to this day, we still relate to the church. Uh, we still relate to that community. The transformation that's occurred there is day and night. If we have the pictures of what we saw initially to what it has become today, it wouldn't be the same community by anybody's guess. Um, we left behind a self-motivated, growing, and an empowered church. Um, they began to sustain the community interventions. They began to keep everybody mobilized and organized. The community was participating and owning their health and development needs. They were advocating for change in a unified voice, and they they had gone on to take charge of their, their development. They began to invite other agencies to partner. They began to host medical camps, inviting medical doctors from the local hospitals, and we were not even involved. Have they struggled? Yes, they have. There are mistakes they've made. Uh, there are things that have come to them and they felt overwhelmed by that, and that's, that's part of growing up. Um, have they failed in some ways? Uh, they have failed in some ways, but they've stood up and continued to be an example to many others. And they have grown. Um, it's, it's visible because it went on now to be passed on to two other churches, three other churches. And before we knew it, we were getting invitations from other churches telling us, can you come and do the same thing that you did uh, with the church that you were involved in? So it must have been visible enough for them to see the change and to want it. And we, we began to move from, from that area to another area. Actually, before we knew it, we moved over to Sudan. We got involved in countries in the north. And today, we found ourselves involved in seven countries in Africa uh, with this same strategy. Now, this is the role the local church can play. So what are the advantages of involving the local church? I want to say it becomes a God-sized venture, and others can own it. 
it's almost self-propagating because the testimony can be seen by others and desired. And people are changed, not just for a season, but an ongoing change, a change that's beyond just passing out a prescription. And they also go on to change others because as they are changed and begin to do home visits and mobilize other people, the change is ongoing. Then the church becomes a resource and we can move on, we can actually take a back seat and we can allow that church to go ahead and train other people in other places. So that local church becomes our resource, our hands and feet to spread the message of medical missions in a bigger area. And then cross-cultural medical missions becomes participatory and it reaps the benefits of integrated ministry, uh, sustainability, empowerment, and the biggest one, being able to face out. Most importantly is it speaks confidence to the church because this church that was little, this church that had less than 20 members when we first visited them, by the third year, they had 350 registered members. They had 500 children involved in ministries and had become a vibrant church at the end of this. So it actually speaks the confidence that's needed. The church is empowered and God is glorified. Fortunately, we have seen this repeated in several other places where we've gone. So this was not just a unique community which happened to, to take up this and to make a difference. I'm thinking of a Sudanese church in the slums of, um, of Cairo, Egypt. A Sudanese church. These are Sudanese who've come from Sudan, living in Egypt, a Muslim country, and finding confidence in that area, in that slum area, after we had trained them, after we had empowered them, and beginning to make the same kind of impact, not just among the Sudanese that are living as refugees in Cairo, but among Egyptians who live in the, in the poor areas in Cairo, and as a church arising to actually make a difference. They now have a full school with um, 20 full-time teachers, who are fully supported, and initially they just came from a small church of less than 20 refugees in this slum area who could do, who could do nothing. Then I'm thinking of a rural church in, in one area of Makueni in Kenya um, that has staged an, a, a very exemplary model of working with orphans and vulnerable children in the rural area and how they've grown because of that and because of the children they minister to, just showing that practical love of God and what it happens as they be, the church becomes empowered. Medical missions, meeting medical needs through the church in a relevant way and what that does to the church. The interesting thing also is as we begin to involve the church, it becomes easy now to host short-term missions and they can be involved without directly being involved with us. They can be involved with the church and the church leadership. The church actually becomes a host of teams. Then I'm reminded of a church um, among the displaced people in Sudan itself, uh, displaced from the north, displaced from the south, 
finding themselves in Khartoum because of the, the war that's been going on for some time. And this church decided to take a, a special responsibility to work with women in the fistula hospital, um, women with those, those damages, and wanted to minister to them as they wait for surgery, uh, to be an encouragement for them, uh, to help them with food, to help them with resources. And before we knew it, we were involved in that hospital. We began to work with the doctors there, work with the women, uh, ended up renovating that hospital, and the church becoming famous in the whole of Khartoum, a church from a displaced people, um, a church that doesn't have the resources. But because of what they do, that be beginning to speak so loudly that even the government of Southern Sudan registers our mission agency there or our organization there based on the testimony they have seen of what a church can do and what an impact that is. Now, Life in Abundance is registered in Northern Sudan because of what this church was able to do and how it has appealed to the government. Now, what operating principles can help us actually involve the church? You know, knowing these advantages, how do we actually involve the church? The Jesus model of ministry still remains the principle, the number one principle to employ. And, and just look at what Jesus did. He, he invited other people uh, to do what he had come to do. Uh, he didn't just begin to do things alone. He began to put disciples around himself so that he would immediately begin to pass on the skills that he had come with. And it was through training, it was through mobilizing them, it was helping them to realize the benefit of what he had come to do, that they began to take on that responsibility. As we seek to be like him, he reveals each stage and the situation of our work and service becomes known to him. We know what his agenda is. And as we begin to walk with him, it begins to bear fruit that is real. Again, the other principle is going as a facilitator. It's possible to work and reach the community without actually getting, um, being the end result, without giving that end service. We can mobilize others that together we give that service and they begin to feel like it's them who have given the service, even technical services. God allows that to occur because he wants these people to, to gain the respect and to be able to lift the church to gain the respect and help the church to become an influence in this community in such a way that Christ is exalted. So it's going as a facilitator and taking a servant's leadership role and enabling others to look good instead of being the one who is seen as a solution in that place. Um, a local church is a representative of Christ. And it's seeing that this is the institution that he established and seeing how much it's able to prevail against so much adversity that if we identify ourselves with that church as it prevails, we prevail. It's, it's a win-win situation. Our role is to empower her so that she can succeed and that she succeeds, 
then our mission is accomplished. Um, again, it's knowing curative services still remain a felt need among the poor. And if we were to just take on providing those curative services, that would be the only thing we would do. But knowing that, we can still establish that these people still get the curative services, but put it together with a way that the preventive part is hand in hand with the curative services. And we found that just equipping and training or getting alongside what's happening in the local institutions, that curative service can still be provided by hospitals, can still be provided by a health force that we can establish in this community and allow these people to be trained to take on that responsibility and remove ourselves from daily managing the situation, becoming multitask people as we manage the preventive and also the curative. Again, it's putting a management structure in place uh, that's able to replace us. Um, and that structure is the people who are trained, the committees that are in place, uh, the people who are bearing the vision, that it's not based on us, but there is a management structure in place that almost takes away the burden from us, that it's not dependent on us, it's dependent on this structure that gets established. In this particular church, it was a training team being there. It was the clusters uh, who had been mobilized and working together. It was a committee owning the vision and making decisions about the people. And it was removing that responsibility from us to settle it on that management structure. Again, the community mobilization and what that brings out. There's so many resources in a community, even a community that is as poor as the one we dealt with. There are people with skills. There are people made in the image of God. There are people with wisdom that can be employed into a change process that becomes their own and that becomes their pride and almost becomes their livelihood. Moving these activities into the church makes make sure that it's not just happening as interventions alone, but that they are happening as, as a total well-being for these people. There's a spiritual interaction and there's a physical interaction, and that God is receiving the glory. Again, it comes to caring for the whole person, uh, because as we begin to integrate the church, begin to integrate the microfinance, uh, the cleaning, the health education, um, as, as things begin to be addressed, the whole person is addressed, there is safe drinking water, and all those are areas where if we just did curative medicine, um, those people would be back to where they were within a very short time. The things we had treated would be doing nothing because they would just revert back if we do nothing with the environment. Prayer and intercession, the prayer walking, the pouring prayer into the community is, is to us the biggest thing that the church can be involved in doing for the community. We all know that health is bigger than just the disease factor. Um, it's a stronghold being dealt with in a community. It's that prayer force that liberates the community as the yoke that binds them is broken, and it's the church 
that can become a custodian, that can become a tool to bring about that community liberation. Again, the proclamation of the gospel, it's almost understood that the church has a mandate to preach the gospel. Um, and if they're not preaching, then they're not a church. And as we tie ourselves with the church, then that goes, goes hand in hand with what we are doing, that the gospel is proclaimed. And the church is seen as fulfilling its role in that community, that they're actually becoming an agent of the gospel and changing lives there. The sustained behavior change comes along when there are examples of people from the church who've been taught on health education, people who've been taught to construct toilets and the usefulness of that. And as people see that modeled, that these, these church people are actually changing, then they begin to adopt that. Because these are people at their level, these are um, nationals, who are doing it, they begin to realize, oh, it's possible. If these people can do it, we can do it. As they see their children going to school and they've been cleaned, their children are being taught to wash hands, then they begin to emulate that, and the change begins to be replicated. So the church becomes a place where we can help them to get educated to change and allow that change to, to seep through the community so that the whole environment is changed. Again, we know um, poverty is the main cause of ill health, especially with communicable diseases. And it begins to be used by the enemy as a spiritual tool um, to discourage people, uh, to hold them down, almost to bring a sense of um, use, uselessness, uh, to kill hope, and uh, remove the sense of achievement, self-esteem is destroyed, and even the very purpose of existence is removed um, because of poverty. And as we involve the church, that church speaking of a hope that is bigger than material gain and beginning to empower the people with a self-esteem and a new purpose uh, removes poverty. Um, initially from the mind, before it can even be seen in the physical. And the church becomes a tool that can do that. It's good to note that in many, in many countries, like almost all the countries where we work, uh, whatever we do at the church level has very little to do with government policy. So we can get away with like a medical camp we can get away with things that the government will not be allowing to go on in a medical institution. And we can get away with innovative ways to address the well-being of the people under the umbrella of the local church because it's a spiritual organization. And that helps us with continuous research, continuous piloting by partnering with the local church. That to us has been the biggest advantage. Uh, twice now we have been able to shape government policy because of research we have done innovatively at the church level. And again, we've been able to influence decisions by USID, especially in water and sanitation working through the church. We've recently also influenced a decision by UNICEF and actually become a model for UNICEF in a particular program in Ethiopia. And now we are 
approaching and working with UNHCR. They're listening to us because they've seen the results, that it's possible to work with the local church and make a difference in a community in a cost-effective and in a sustained way. I'm sure you've heard this being said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the church literally is a community of believers. And without the collective organization, that collective organization coming together, uh, the ability of us to change communities is very much compromised. It's that collective uh, approach with the believers, with what we bring in that partnership that causes an impact which will prevail. And again, I wanted to say the church is the hope of the world and its function rests primarily on those leaders, no matter how, how weak they look, no matter how disorganized they look. That small institution that has been labeled as a church in that community becomes the strongest institution in that particular area. And as we partner with that, we partner with Christ himself. I know of, um, of missionaries who have gone and established vertical uh, approaches to medical work and have stayed for 20 years, 10 years, and at the end of their stay there, they've had to recruit other people to come and take over from what they are leaving. But I also know of some medical missionaries who have gone in and multiplied themselves passed on the knowledge they had, empowered the church, and been able to move from community to community within a short time because they are waiting and we cannot afford to base it on us. It's got to be multiplied uh, to the people that the Lord has provided on the ground. My task was to discuss cross-cultural medical missions can be participatory and reap the benefits of integrated ministry, sustainability, empowerment, and phase out, and be able to pass on that role to the church. And I was to highlight some of the advantages of doing that and maybe mention a few examples of where this has worked. The church the bride of Christ, the institution that will prevail and stands equal to none other is still the best institution that we can join hands with as we do cross-cultural medical missions. Amen. Thank you. I don't know if we have time, but I'll be open to any questions. Uh, but I think, yeah. Where we get the funding, we went in initially as missionaries, so we raised our own support, you know, the deputation and going and, and talking. We couldn't escape that. But as we've continued and began to be involved with communities, the first funding that we got was actually us being approached by an agency to say, can we give you money to work with this church to make the difference that you are making? And sometimes it's just been selling itself, um, and that's how we've grown. 
we don't move to another place unless we have the funding for it, and somehow God brings people along. Uh, usually we begin there. We invite all the churches that are in our target area and we raise a vision to them, <clears throat> telling them, would you like to be involved to become a change agent in this community? And usually the answer is, how can we be involved? You know, they're overwhelmed with that. Or they can be, we want to be involved, but how do we get involved? And we share the vision within a day and we tell them, if you want to be involved with this, if you want to become a change agent, go back to your church, share this, and choose a team that we can train. And it's those churches that come with a team that we can train that make a commitment, and we begin to work with that church. Sometimes it's more than one church, but the work is so huge that we can work with several churches at the same time. Yeah. All right, I think I'll, I'll dismiss this. The Lord bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. May the Lord favor you. Amen.